0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
2: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Today, we have Dr. Brian Weiss come to us to to talk to us about new levels of healing with regard to past life regression deeper levels. He'll be appearing at the upcoming I Can Do It conference in Atlanta, Georgia on April the 14th and 15th to discuss this same topic, and today we are so fortunate to have him come here to give us a preview and to help us understand past life regression and why it helps us heal and grow. Dr. Weiss is best known for his best-selling book, Many Lives, Many Masters, and his scientific exploration of the topic, which in the field of psychiatry is still considered by many to be bogus. His work is considered by most to be earth-shattering in that it changes the entire view of who we are and what we're doing here. So you don't want to miss this, so hang in for the whole show today. Dr. Brian Weiss is the best-selling author of Many Lives, Many Masters, the true story of a prominent psychiatrist, his young, his young patient, and the past life therapy that changed both their lives, as well as Through Time into Healing, Only Love is Real, a story of soulmates reunited. Spiritual Progress Through Regression, Messages from the Masters, Tapping into the Power of Love, Soul, Many Bodies, Discover the Healing Power of Future Lives Through Progressive Therapy and More. He's the world's foremost expert on past life regression. Dr. Weiss is a Miami-based psychiatrist who has recently closed his practice but continues to conduct national and international seminars and experiential workshops training other therapists on how to do his work. Uh, He's a graduate of Columbia University and Yale Medical School and is the former chairman of psychiatry at Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami. So we are very glad to get to talk with you today, Dr. Weiss, and thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Andrea. It's great to be with you on the show today.
2: All right. Well, let's just jump right in. I guess the first question is going to be, how did you go from being a skeptic about reincarnation to being a believer? I know there's a story there from many lives, many uh, masters, and, and we want to just talk
1: a little bit about that well I certainly was a very skeptical I was never trained in concepts of past lives reincarnation psychic phenomena spiritual matters not not in the traditional medical and psychiatric training and I was chairman of psychiatry at Mount Sinai Medical Center as you mentioned um, around 1979 1980 uh, a woman who was a laboratory technician in the hospital Suffering from phobias and panic attacks, depression, nightmares, and mostly severe anxiety, she came into my office and we began therapy. She wouldn't take any medicines because she had a lifelong fear of gagging or choking. So I used traditional therapy. I was trained as a in psychoanalytic techniques also. Um, for more than a year, we did this therapy, and there was minimal improvement. And I wanted to use hypnosis, which I had learned as an intern years before, to access memories that I felt she might be repressing, she couldn't access. And hypnosis is a way to enhance the memory. So when finally she agreed to do this, we went back, and we found some traumatic memories from her childhood, but her symptoms remained severe. And I remember thinking that we'll have to go earlier, earlier in her childhood, to find where the traumas were that were causing her symptoms in the current time. So in the next session, I asked her to go back to the time where her symptoms first arose. And I was thinking that she'd go back to the time in early childhood when her symptoms uh, were caused. But she went back about 4,000 years into an ancient Near Eastern lifetime in a different body and different name. And in that ancient lifetime, she drowned in a flood or a tidal wave, her baby being torn from her arms by the force of the water, but she, the patient, did not have any children in her current life. So it seemed like it was a really odd and unusual thing, but she was um, telling me these things with such detail and such vivid recollection and also a great deal of emotion that I let it continue, and she went through this whole, um, what turned out to be a lifetime. And then afterwards, her lifelong fear of gagging or choking, the reason she couldn't take medication, uh, virtually disappeared in one session. And her anxieties were, were much better. So the next week we did it again, and even more clearing occurred. And until um, week by week, remembering other past lives, she was able to resolve all of her symptoms, emotional and physical symptoms, in her case, without using any medicines. And so um, there was a lot more. She she had this vivid recall. She knew things about me, which were very private and very secret, but she would tell me these things, and I be- began with another patient and another similar findings, and that was the beginning for me, from complete skeptic to um, someone who is... Done this work with more than four thousand patients in the past thirty years. Mm-hmm.
2: An amazing work too. It, yeah, I wonder was that frightening at
1: first to you? It was it was um, unsettling. Yes, I, yeah. I really was closed minded about these things. I had very little knowledge about it, and fortunately, I remember uh, studying Greek philosophy in college and and recalling that a skeptic is. Someone who retains an open mind, but offers alternative explanations for phenomena. It's not someone who puts things down that they don't know about, who poo-poos things, but but someone who explores things and offers other explanations. Could it be this? Could it be that? And so I assumed that role, and yet week by week, she got better and others came in and got better, and then they started knowing historical facts and details that they had no knowledge of consciously, And that and my scouring the medical literature for other physicians or therapists who were doing this work and what their findings were. And so frightening at first, but then very comforting.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does tend to do that when you sort of go all the way through to the other end of it. When when you're skeptical about things, you get very comfortable with the uncertainty of it, don't you?
1: Yes, yes.
2: Yeah, you you got a lot of criticism on your thesis on past life regression early on. Are you seeing less of that now? And if so, to what do you attribute that?
1: You're you're right, Andrew. There was a great deal of um, reaction in the beginning, and this was the early 1980s. A, A great deal of negative reaction from organized groups, the American Psychiatric Association, the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, and other groups, too. Now I see less so. I think much less so, and some of the reasons are um, there's much more written about it now, not just my books, but other people have been doing this work and writing books, and also media. There's um, radio, like your show here, that reaches out to many people and helps to teach them and inform them. Television, I've been on television shows um, demonstrating what a regression looks like, talking about it, being patient with people who are... Um, slow to open their minds, but that's okay. I was very skeptical, too. Movies have been um, documenting or showing this theme in various ways. So people are much more familiar with it now, too. The Internet has helped disseminate knowledge and information all over the world. So people in the West are much more aware of um, theories and philosophies from the East, but also aware of studies that have been going on, and so all of these factors, the Internet and the Web, movies, radio, television, magazines, uh, big events, uh, these kinds of things help to make people much more aware. And with their awareness, they talk to other people. So it kind of disseminates outward, like throwing a pebble into a pond and the ripples going outward. In, in the early 1980s, a lot of flack, a lot of criticism, much less so now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right. So there is. You mentioned studies. There is some research being done um, now about past lives, particularly over in other countries. Are there particular researchers, re- researchers that you're following, uh, keeping up with, and, and, and
1: sort of staying on yeah, stuff? Yes, there. There really are two levels of, of work. One is the clinical, where you don't need to validate through studies. You see your patients, your clients getting better, and people will resolve emotional and physical symptoms quickly. For example, phobias may resolve when you remember the cause of them from a past life or earlier in the present life. One example is a fear of water and you were drowned in a past life or a fear of heights and you were thrown off a castle wall in the 15th century. Whatever it is, once you identify the trauma, the symptoms seem to resolve. The other level is the validational. So I've had people speaking foreign languages that they never learned, Um, We call that xenoglossy, knowing, as I mentioned, historical facts and details. So his work is going on, the research, all over the world. Uh, Clearly in India and um, countries in Eastern traditions, this work is going on even in universities. But in the United States and the Western world also, people are are publishing more books now. Uh, um, And the psychiatrist in America, Dr. Ian Stevenson, um, he was chairman of the psychiatry department at the University of Virginia, has published uh, over 2,000 cases of children who have had reincarnational-type memories, and he was able to validate those memories. Um, they would remember their previous family, for example, when they were a child, and he would go and interview. If he could locate the previous family, he would interview them and kind of validate what the child was saying. So that kind of work is going on and now we're also validating the therapeutic work. Yeah. So yeah. research is very active.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm so glad because we you know that we do have the the skeptic mind in all of us that needs to have some kind of verification that yes indeed this is true. We we can't afford to, you know, va- not validate what we find out with regard to intuition and what we learn. We have to right. keep learning, keep growing. Mhm. Okay, so some people say even those who do believe in reincarnation. And we're gonna, we might need to be taking a break here. So if we don't get to finish this, we'll come back after the break. But um, the, we, I'll go ahead and ask the question, so the audience will know what we're gonna talk about. Actually, we are gonna have to take a break. Past life regression is mostly imagination. A lot of people say that it's really hard for us to believe that it's real when we regress. So we're, we want to talk about how you can distinguish between imagination and past life regression when we get back. So stay tuned for more from Dr. Weiss. We'll be back in just a moment.
3: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change.
0: You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: And we're back today talking with Dr. Brian Weiss. Uh, the Authentic Show, Living Show is sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, dedicated to expanding science beyond conventional paradigms. Founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, IONS is a nonprofit research, education, and membership organization whose mission is supporting individual and collective transformation through consciousness research, educational outreach, and engaging in a global learning community in the realization of human potential. You can join that learning community at www.noetic.org. Talking with Dr. Brian Wise today, we're very, very fortunate. He has come today to sort of preview just a little bit about the I Can Do It conference that's coming up in Atlanta, Georgia on April the 14th and 15th. There are still tickets available for that. You can go to hayhouse.com to get your tickets or uh, Google I Can Do It, Atlanta, Georgia. Get your tickets that way as well. We were talking just before the break about a question that I have about uh, past life regression. A lot of people say, well, that's just imagination. It's not really real. So I want to talk with you just a little bit about that. How do you recommend that we distinguish between imagination and
1: past life regression? Sometimes in the beginning of doing regressions, it's difficult to tell because, um um The more that you do it, the more you practice regressions or have regressions, and regressions just mean going back in time, having these memories. Then it becomes more and more clear. But some some points early on are the presence of emotion, because daydreaming or um, kind of light imagination doesn't produce these kinds of emotions that you get during regressions. Also, the specificity of detail. Sometimes people know historical facts, details that they don't know consciously. Uh, Obviously, if you're healing a symptom, that's more than imagination because imagination or fantasy does not heal physical or emotional symptoms, whereas regressions do. So frequently the people that are validating the the memories are the clients or the patients themselves because nowadays with access so improved to information and data, they can do a web search, be on the Internet, find out things, Thirty years ago, you would have to really spend a lot of time and money and effort to track down, but now you can do it on the Internet. So people are validating their own memories, and that's how you tell. Um, Last weekend, I was in New York City um, for Hay House, and I was doing a one-day workshop, uh, doing that uh, by myself. We had 1,500 people at the Jacob Javits Center for this workshop, and about 60% of them had a past life experience, and people were getting rid of pain, they were getting rid of phobias, they were understanding relationships, uh, because sometimes people have reincarnated with many of the same souls in different bodies, but the, re- the souls are the same. So this was giving them insight into relationships, um, getting rid of, as I said, phobias and panic attacks and fears and uh, pains, like neck pain, and they were hanged and... Um, in the previous century, these kinds of things. And that's a proof in itself. That's really an indicator that it's not fantasy or imagination, but actual memory. And sometimes you get a mixture of those things in addition to metaphors or symbols. The whole key is that it's helping you to understand yourself, your real nature, um, that you're not the body but the soul or the spiritual being or the presence or the consciousness, whatever you want to call it. And that doesn't um, really depend on immediate validation. People just know that, and there was healing all over the place. So those are the ways, Andrea. But a lot of the skeptics don't know. They have never been to a workshop. They haven't read any of my books or other books on the subject. They just say, well, uh, it's all imagination. But they don't know that. They, They really haven't studied it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think the the biggest thing is that some people, when they do have a past life regression, they come away from it going, "Well, that was really, really healing, but was it really real or was it just right. imagination?" People it's hard for to us to, to really wrap our minds around this idea that we really can regress, we can go to the past and the future. Right. Yeah.
1: Because there's no time. The uh, time is here in this physical world, this Earth, this dimension, but. Uh, physicists know that there's really um, no time. There are multiple dimensions. Galaxies and univer- universes are bubbling up all the time. This is what cosmologists, um, astrophysicists are telling us. And we don't question them because they're using rigorous scientific methods, these um, modern physicists and quantum physicists, to study these phenomena. Uh, and yet it's all indicating the same thing. There's much more to us than meets the eye and we're much more complex than we know.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So at the I Can Do It conference, and again coming up in Atlanta, Georgia, on April the 14th and 15th, your topic is going to be finding new levels of healing. Can you tell us how healing works through past life? Why is it that remembering a past life trauma helps us heal?
1: In that um, Atlanta conference, by the way, I'll be doing a group past life regression for the entire audience. It will go on about 30 to 40 minutes and people will have lots of experiences and we'll do other experiential exercises there as well it's not uh, just a lecture there's a lot of experiential work in the program and this will give everybody an opportunity to experience what it's like if they want to do that and it's very exciting because as i mentioned people will heal symptoms or understand relationships And it works very much like traditional therapy. You know, in traditional psychoanalytic therapy, you go back and discover childhood traumas that might be resulting in present-day symptoms. And past life therapy or regression therapy involves the same principle. You go back in time, but instead of stopping at childhood or early childhood or infancy, you go back into what seem to be past lifetimes and you find the traumas, the same as childhood traumas, and once you connect to that and understand them, the symptom seems to resolve, to ameliorate, even oftentimes to disappear, the same mechanism as psychoanalytic therapy.
2: Yeah, so I know where it comes from, so really it's not as real as I thought it was. My phobia isn't really telling me about a real fear. It's telling me about something that already happened and I already survived it.
1: Yes, and not something that's going to happen. It's not a premonition. The phobia is dealing with something in the past that's already happened, not something that will happen in the future.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I have been to uh, one of your workshops, and it was also in Atlanta, um, a couple of years back, several years right. back, actually, and um, I was a part of that experiential dynamic, so I would really encourage the listening audience to participate in that because it really does offer healing and and it opens your own mind to what you're capable of, what we are as humans capable of. So I, I think it's a beautiful experience. So I appreciate your work very, very much.
1: Uh, thank you. Uh,
2: so, okay, tell us how your work has changed the definition of karma.
1: Well, I, I used to, when I first started reading about karma, I thought about it as punishment. But I realized that it's not. It's not punishment Uh, It's opportunity for growth, for learning. So in the ancient Eastern traditions, karma meant that every action, every thought, every action has a reaction, has a result. If you harm someone in a past life, you have to make it up to them in the present life or or that kind of um, linkage from the past to the present. But it's really not punishment. For example, if you were... um, let's say, a very wealthy person in a past life, but you didn't practice charity or compassion. You just used your money for personal gain and power and things like that. In the current life, you might be poor because you have to understand about money being a neutral thing, being given to you in order to help other people, not just to accumulate it for yourself, but it's a tool, a thing that's neither good nor bad, but can be used for very good purposes. So if you're poor, you realize, oh, there are people who are poor despite um, their best intentions in terms of wanting to not be poor but maybe born into that situation. They may exist in a deprived culture um, where they don't have the opportunities to break free and to accumulate money or that kind of thing. So they're dependent perhaps on the compassion and charity of, of other cultures or other people who have money. And you realize, oh, I really don't want people to suffer by being poor. I'd love to help them out. That's that's how you learn about compassion and charity, not just by being rich but by being poor. So karma is really not just making it up to those people, but it's providing yourself the opportunity to learn. And once you learn the lesson, the karma can be dissolved. You don't have to go on suffering or go on learning. Once you learn the lesson, you can move on to newer lessons. So, for example, you learn the lesson not to be violent, because violence doesn't um, doesn't work. It's really not a spiritual practice, and it just creates harm for both the doer, the perpetrator, and the victim. So, it's best to be nonviolent, to be loving, because that's what spiritual beings are like. They're compassionate, loving beings, and we're all spiritual beings. Okay, so we have to learn to be nonviolent. Well. Once you learn to be nonviolent, you don't have to suffer violence, you don't have to learn how horrible it is, you already know. So then you can move on to another lesson, which might be compassion, or might be patience, or might be not to be prejudiced, or something of that sort. And, and so that's how my understanding of karma has evolved over these past 30 years that I've been working with past life regressions.
2: Yeah, I, ha- I have had, uh, as, as time has gone by in my own life, I've tried to figure this thing of karma out as well, that it seems like this cycle where you just sort of, you keep repeating, well, I killed you in this life, so you kill me in the next life, so I kill you in the next life. Okay. You know, it just never seems to evolve to anything more, uh, spiritually inclined than that, and I, uh, you know, that, that was, that, idea is what made me start questioning it and uh yeah right. i agree that the right. soul it's, it's a little bit like the soul's intention isn't it to to yes. help us
1: to yes. you get can break the, to the next place exactly break the pattern don't do it don't kill yes. again don't let your anger or your rage take over again practice relaxation techniques or meditation or visualization learn to be calm learn to be more patient and that breaks the cycle and there's no more karma Right, and the intention, you know, there's so much written about it, but it's very important to always remember the spiritual nature of that whole process. It's not for personal gain; it's for the growth, your spiritual growth, and then then it works much more effectively, I think.
2: Yeah, and you were talking about poverty there too. The the idea of sort of a collective, a cultural sort of dynamic that sort of sucks that world, that piece of the world into poverty. That, you know, I think in terms of karma is such a collective thing too that not only is, uh, is it all about well, I'm being rich and this time so I can give something back, but also perhaps that I'm a part of a whole dynamic where poverty and richness are just two opposite ends of a polarity and we need to sort of equalize that as a we, as a collective. But we can talk some more about that after the break. And uh, So we're going to take a break right now. We'll have some more from Dr. Brian Weiss in just a few minutes. Stay tuned for more.
3: This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
1: Right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business.
3: Be visionary. This is the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel.
2: And we're back talking today to Dr. Brian Weiss uh, about his upcoming um, experiential workshop, and it's going to be actually a keynote at the uh, I Can Do It conference in Atlanta, Georgia, April 14th and 15th. And uh, so you should get your tickets for that. It's at the, You can get them at Hay House or go online and Google I Can Do It, Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, you can get your tickets there as well. So we were talking just before the break about karma and what that means and sort of concluding that it didn't mean the old traditional definition of punishment and reward, but really some way of sort of moving ourselves upward through the cycle of evolution toward a higher and higher consciousness. Um, and, and I want to talk now about just about the soul. So how does the human soul
1: factor into this?
2: Where Are we one soul with many lives? What, tell us about that.
1: Okay. That's an interesting question. I I think that's the nature of all being that we are souls or spiritual beings. That's our real nature, not that we're just physical bodies or brains, that there's a deeper part of us. That's the eternal part. That's the immortal part that goes on from body to body. And the, the whole principle of how it works is that recurring nature of the soul or consciousness coming into and out of physical bodies so in that sense we never die because we're never really born we, we are born into the physical and we leave the physical but we the part that exists independently and forever um, that that doesn't change that never dies and so um, I think of this soul as being the core of the whole thing that's why we're here to learn and grow along our spiritual pathways as I said that's our real nature, and that's the substance of which all of us are made. And that we come into physical bodies and brains in order to learn on the earth plane these lessons. So in that sense, it's kind of like a car and a driver. And I'm sure your listeners have heard this metaphor before, but we so often think of ourselves as the car, and we have you know, a black color or white or red or brown or whatever the car's color is, But we're not the car. We're the driver of the car. And so that's the soul. And the car would be the physical body. So if the car wears out, it's got 180,000 miles on it or whatever, and it's getting to be time for a new car, well, then the driver leaves the car and gets into a new one and maybe chooses a different color or a different model of car this time. And that's the whole concept of reincarnation. So the soul is that part that keeps reincarnating our real nature, And that's what we're here to learn about, how we're spiritual beings. And there's that quote from Teilhard de Chardin, the uh, Christian mystic, who said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, but we're spiritual beings having a human experience. That really captures the nuance of our real nature.
2: Yeah, so what... I'm going to ask a really profound question here, but, and it could probably take us you know, millions of years to discover the answer, but uh, why, what is the purpose of all that? Why, why are we in a body instead of in another soul experience? You know, why, why do we choose bodies? Do you have any notion
1: for that? Well, that's a very good question. I've thought about that one, too. And, and yet um, we can observe that we're here. I mean, we're here on the earth plane, we have physical bodies. We go from life to life. We're, we're doing it. But why? That, that I think you'd have to know the mind of God. I don't think we know why. Because for some reason, and there are lots of theories, but I don't know that anyone really knows that there's one, uh, tr- knowledge of this question that you asked, one version that's all encompassing and that you'll say right away, oh, of course because that would be like knowing the mind of God why, why does the soul need to incarnate at all Don't we know everything from the other side and, it, and the answer is nobody really knows why we're here we know that we do incarnate we know that but why that, that's very complex and people say well the soul needs to experience itself or needs to uh, see itself reflected through a physical body yes but why Couldn't we know all of these things on the other side without having to come into physical form and go through this whole difficult process in lifetime to lifetime? Because in my way of thinking, the Earth school is a very difficult school because here in the Earth, when we take physical form, when we take bodies, here we have illness, disease, death, uh, aging, separation, loss, violence, all these things that don't exist on the other side in our true home. So why do we have to go through this? And I think in a, one way, Andrew, it's like um, I thought of ourselves as being like a kindergarten student. You know, we have the first day of school, so we go to school, and we don't like it because we don't have the freedom we had at home. And we say, I don't want to be here. I want to be home. I don't like this. I don't need it. I was perfectly happy at home why do I need to come to school and the answer of course is that it's part of your education you're going to get older you're going to grow up you need to learn and understand history and languages and develop skills and you'll be able to work and read and, and enjoy life at a much different level all of these are answers that the kindergarten student does not understand and doesn't even want And we're kind of like the kindergarten student. We're here, just like the student finds himself or herself in school. But why are we in school? There are answers, but it would be hard for us to understand why.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the most amazing thing to me is that we, you know, in spite of all the suffering and the difficulty of being here on this uh, plane, we... We keep having babies. We, we keep joyfully producing things that are meaningful to us. And, yes. and you know, I think that's extremely significant. I think that says something about the the, the soul and its energy and its desires.
1: Yes. There, there, it also points to the, the the physical beauty of this school, this earth, because here we do have bodies and we do have sensory organs and things like that. We can enjoy... Rainbows and smell beautiful flowers and perfumes and see sunsets. We 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 can feel love. We can feel other wonderful emotions. There are tremendously important um, experiences here and learning opportunities. So I understand all those things, and we're extremely resourceful um, people. We we make the best of this school because there's such benefits here. And I think it's a place for accelerating learning because here, because of the difficulty of having physical bodies and the beauty at the same time of having physical bodies and brains, we can really progress on the spiritual path. So to have a baby or a beautiful pet, something like that, um, these, these teach about unconditional love. The baby does not have to perform to be loved. You know, it just is, and you love it. And it doesn't have to do much in return. It looks at <laughs> yeah. you and coos and poops and does everything. And you still love it. It, does, it can't do that, you know, great deeds deed for you. It can't go fetch your coffee or do anything. It's a little helpless baby. But it elicits such a degree of unconditional love. That's an incredible lesson about the nature of love.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and it resonates so deeply with us that we just are so often so moved by that and by all the other beautiful things that you described. So, it, while there is a great deal of suffering here, and and maybe in part because of our blindness to who we actually are, we we just keep having hope and keep on rolling along. So that that's a lot. That means a whole
1: lot. It does. And I, I'd like to see. I don't know if it will be, but I you know we'd love to see heaven on earth. That is the best that this place can be. And in a world where there is no violence, um, no hatred, no prejudice, the people supported and helped each other, there was cooperation instead of um, endless competition, there was compassion, kindness. Um, We still have aging, we still have uh, enough difficulties here, but what a beautiful place it could be if everybody just helped, Everyone else out and that we saw and recognized every other person as a fellow spiritual being. All of us having the same real nature and treating each other then with respect and dignity and kindness. I think that world would be a wonderful place. Well, whether we ever get to that level, we'll see. But the possibilities for making this a much um, more beautiful garden, this earth, much more beautiful place they're they're there we can do this but whether we choose to do it is the big question
2: yeah absolutely absolutely and i i I have a theory that that is that that is part of what we are doing here is to bring uh uh union to the soul and the body so that the Hmm. body sees itself as soul and the soul sees itself as body so it's not just we're in this you know, physical and uh, corporate entity, and then we're going to drop it and have another. But it's also that we're taking this corporate entity into the soul energy and allowing ourselves to see that it actually is that. So, right? Yeah, and I think if and as long as we are uh, beginning to uh, process through into more and more spiritual awareness, I think we'll, in order to accomplish that goal you just mentioned of, of sort of harmony and peace on earth we've got to be able to see our bodies as part of that dynamic right right yeah yeah all right so uh, we talked a little bit about the end of suffering i want to talk a little bit more about that you mentioned that there is a kind of liberation that we can have uh, other religions call it moksha um, Mm -hmm. a kind of liberation from reincarnation itself do you have any notion for how that works
1: well, I'm, um, again, just talking about my own work and research and meditation, and also you're um, emphasizing that more, but I think at some point in time, we don't have to keep reincarnating here, because we've kind of graduated from the school. It'd be like going through grades one, two, five, eight, so on, and then you graduate. You don't have to come back here. You can learn in other dimensions, because this is not the only place, or you can choose to come back voluntarily to help and assist other souls other people to progress along their spiritual paths because we're really all connected it's somewhat of an illusion that we're separate we're really all connected And you can see this we know things about other people we sense things we feel these connections and and we don't truly completely graduate until everybody else does so i, I think that there are like um, people or beings that have come back voluntarily. Most of us are not coming back voluntarily but still learning our lessons. But eventually we do graduate, just like school, and then you're not in that cycle of reincarnation anymore. But you can choose to still come back to Earth and help others.
2: Right. So that's that idea, of the Buddhist idea of the Bodhisattva.
1: Exactly. It's kind of a a being that's postponed Complete liberation to come back and help others.
2: Yep. All right. Well, we're going to be back with our last segment with Dr. Brian Weiss. Stay tuned for that. We'll be back in just a minute.
3: The Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network.
0: Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Seventh Wave Network.
3: Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel.
2: Well, it's sad but true, but we have just one more segment with Dr. Brian Weiss talking today about past life regression and about the uh, I Can Do It conference coming up on April the 14th and 15th in Atlanta, Georgia, where he will appear for an experiential dynamic that you can participate in. You can get your tickets for that at Hayhouse.com uh, or go online and Google the uh, or Bing I Can Do It conference, and you should be able to get your tickets there too. So I wanted to ask you if you would, uh, Brian, to just tell the listening audience a little bit about um, anything that they can do to connect with you in any kind of way. Um, So if you'll just fill in that gap for us.
1: Yes, I I have a website. It's just my name. It's brianweiss.com. And I'm also on Facebook now and Twitter and the YouTube channel that shows, um, you know, more videos of questions and answers. And if people go on to that um, one of those sites the website they can find my schedule they can find segments where there are more for questions and answers um, and learn even more they can um, it's a great resource all of those things I'll be for example in Boston the end of April I'll be in Toronto later in the spring and um, and overseas so Italy and England doing conferences so wherever in the world. Um, people are they can generally find me and tracking me through one of those social media sites or the website is a good way to do it very efficient
2: all right all right yes and and the work that you do is so very important so it's well worth the tracking
1: yes Yes. it's great to have these interactions with people I really enjoy the workshops where People, as you mentioned before, you attended one in Atlanta some years ago. It was another um, Hey House, I Can Do It one, and with multiple speakers, and I enjoy that. But I enjoy uh, offering the opportunity for people to go into deeper states, to practice um, regressions, to have that experience. We also do psychic and intuitive exercises. There's a gestalt healing exercise that's been very effective Um so it's something that I enjoy very much to teach and at these at these large experiential workshops, um, people have just marvelous experiences there. My daughter Amy and I have written a, a major new book. It'll be out in October. It's not out yet, but we've just finished it, and it's about the workshop experiences. So people going to Atlanta, the book won't be out before the Atlanta workshop but it describes the kinds of experiences that people have had in these workshops. We solicited their um, stories and got over a 1,000 responses, of which we picked um, 80 or 90 of which put them in the book. I commented on each one of them, explaining what it means, how it all fits together, what it, my reflections on it, and, and it just reminded me of how wonderful uh, these workshops have been for me to hear these stories of lives and being transformed, symptoms healing. So I'm looking forward to that new book coming out because that's really a workshop book. And, and, uh, if people, um, you know, register to be notified through the website or follow the website or, or Twitter or Facebook, we'll let them know when the new book comes out. So, if people are interested in that, I'll be like an alarm clock. When it rings, then the book will be out.
2: Wonderful! That's excellent. Yes, because I, you know that experience. One of the things that I enjoyed so much about that workshop that I attended with you was there's just a real laid back manner about it. It's not uh, there's not pressure. There's there's uh, of course all the listening audience is very curious and interested and. And uh, there's a real camaraderie there, and it's not one of those sort of awkward workshops where you go to and you and you don't know anybody. Everybody sort of blends right in, and it fits really easily, hand in glove. So, uh, yeah, those are really important and 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 uh, laid back, like I said, and easy to do, not so hard to do.
1: No, it's really not. That's why about sixty percent, <clears throat> two thirds of the audience will have a past life memory. in the the regression experience, even in a large group. And so that's very exciting to me. In the New York workshop, there were so many new people in terms of they've never attended a workshop before. I got immediately very excited about that because I knew these people were going to have an experience uh, even that very day, And, and they did. I'm getting a lot of feedback now through emails and in other ways of... Their experiences sometimes right into regression, but many people uh, that evening, um, in a dream or some other way, had had answers to their questions, memories, uh, knowledge, meeting also with loved ones who have died and gone to the other side. There were a lot of messages that people were receiving in these deeper states too. Kind of people were becoming their own mediums. So all of that's very exciting, and uh, I've been blessed to be able to do this work. I'm grateful that you had me on the show so that we can talk about these things.
2: Oh, absolutely. I'm grateful that you're here, and I'm sure the listening audience is too. Uh, have you ever heard of someone having a somebody else's past life regression? I mean, it's like you're in a group of people and somebody has somebody else's regression. Is that possible?
1: It's possible. Usually you get your own, you know, and, and it's kind of signaled by an intensity of the emotion and acuity of detail but oftentimes we come back here in soul groups or soul families we've lived many times with uh, the same souls and the relationships can change your your grandmother may come back as your granddaughter grandson say that kind of thing but it's the same soul in a different body and and sometimes when you have regressions you can tap into a soulmate's experience, because you've shared that in some, in many ways. Maybe you were actually there at the same time, too, uh, living together. So yeah. it's possible, but we don't find it that often.
2: Yeah, okay. Yeah, somebody mentioned that to me a while back, and I was like, well, that's interesting. I wonder what yeah. that would be like. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it, you're so connected. I've, I've had, though, patients sharing the same dream the same night. Like, um, Oh, yeah. I remember a couple having a baby, and the wife was pregnant with the baby, and they didn't hadn't picked a name yet they didn't know the sex yet. I think she was about four months pregnant, something like that and um, they both had the identical dream on the same night the baby came to them telling them why she was choosing them as parents, what she wanted her name to be in um, more detail and the one woke they woke up, and the, the husband said, "I just had the most." incredible dream about our baby and, and his his wife said and so did i it was remarkable she came to me and they agreed on all the details the girl the name everything and and that's what they named her when she was born that's amazing so yeah, i have had that
2: experience of dreaming the same dream the partner dreams and, and that is extremely interesting and it does bring you a whole lot closer too but that's pretty profound. Having yeah. the baby come and tell you what it wants—that's really cool. I know. Yeah. So you know what this whole conversation does is expand our awareness into who we actually are. What what it means to actually be a human being with a soul. You mentioned yeah. earlier that we were complex beings and, uh, this, this really does expand our awareness about what that means. Most of the time when we say we're complex beings, we mean we're pretty screwed up, but, <laughs> <laughs> right. but, you know, actually what we, what we're saying here is the complexity is something of a mystery that we get profound bits of information from our own souls.
1: I like that you said that mystery, Andrew, because that's really what it is. And in answer to that, I really, deep question you asked before about the purpose of all this why do we come here it's still a mystery there's a lot of mystery there we're spiritual beings we we have this depth of um, that we don't even fully recognize depth of being different levels uh, much greater than just the body or the brain and yet there's still a mystery to it all and that in some ways that's okay we don't have to know everything
2: yeah, there is a certain kind of peace we get from just sort of surrendering to the mystery. It's not yeah. you don't have to explain it, or just just be a part of it.
1: Right. We may not even have the capability to understand all of it, but to surrender to the mystery and understand, you know, the outlines of our spiritual nature, maybe that's enough. Yeah for now anyway at least yeah for we now. have to act like spiritual beings we should do that first before we have to say oh, i have to know everything about this whole process
2: yeah i think that we want to know everything because we don't we'd rather know than
1: than do <laughs> right exactly. <laughs>
2: exactly all right well i have really enjoyed talking with you brian and i'm certain that our listening audience has really gotten a lot from what you had to say today and uh and so i so appreciate you being here
1: Uh, Thank you, too, Andrea, for this opportunity.
2: All right. And next week we're going to come back. We'll be talking more about your soul and its lives. So stay tuned for more of that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.